Let's pray. God, thank you for that promise that we are never alone, and don't leave us alone this morning, but let us hear you and what you would teach us today, and so tune our ears to hear your voice and change whatever words come out of my mouth so that people hear exactly what you need them to hear today, Jesus. I ask it in your name. Amen. Well, we're launching on a brand new series called Boundaries Today, and it's always good if you're on week one of the series. It's, I know, a little awkward when you come in on week two, three, or four, and like I don't really know what happened before this, so congratulations for being here on week one. That's a great thing to do, so thank you for tuning in, and thank you for being here this morning. And just to give you a little clue on what we talk about when we put these series together months in advance, we really ask the question, who is this for and who are we speaking to? And so as we talked about this series, um, there are several different kind of people that came to our mind and maybe you can relate to this and if so, well, this series then is for you. And so the first one is for anybody that is a little overwhelmed. Like, if you're overwhelmed, uh, this series is for you. If you have a problem with personal space, then this series is for you. And, and perhaps if you're one of those kind of people who have a really difficult time saying no, this series is for you. Now, I thought even beyond that, if one of those didn't capture your attention, I was thinking about a whole different group of people that maybe will capture you if one of those first three didn't. You're probably familiar with the phrase cancel culture. You know, that has certainly made its movement around uh, certainly America and even around the world to some extent. And I was reading a blog the other day that somebody had written. It's like, I just want to cancel 2020. Like, I'm done with 2020, let's just forget it, let's scrap the year, it's done, it's toast, let's just bring on 2021. And I think a lot of people would say amen to that, because judging by the comments, a lot of people were in agreement, there's nothing good that could come out of this year, so let's just scrap it, even though we're half of the way through the year, we're done with this year, so let's just get rid of it and start all over clean and fresh again. And I get the sentiment on that, but then I began to think a little bit more about that, and I thought, what if? You know, what if what God intended to come out of 2020 was your freedom? What if what God intended for 2020 was your transformation? What if what God intended for 2020 was for God to show up in your life in a powerful way that you would look back years later and go, oh, thank God we went through this time. It was the worst of times, but it was the best of times for what came out of it. And my fear is that a lot of people are missing out on what God is trying to reveal to us and in us and through us. And so that's this purpose of this series is we don't want anybody to miss. We want to help you to live the life that God fully intended you to live. So I, I want to go back and read what was read just a moment ago by our elder Mike Odinga. And you're probably familiar with the second part of this, but we usually skip over the first part because it seems like a little introduction, and I don't want to just run through that because I think it opens up a little bit of nuance and insight to us. So take a look at verse 34. It says this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. 
Now, some of you, if you grew up in church, you might be familiar a little bit with Sadducees and Pharisees, and I'll, I'll give you just a little bit of an insight to them, just in case you have no idea who they are, or maybe it's a little confusing in your mind. Uh, very simply, the Sadducees, um, and both of them, by the way, were not priests. They were really teachers of the law. They were really modern-day lawyers, because they would take God's law and interpret it for people. What does God say we should do? And, and they had a couple of different ruling classes, much like we have Republicans and Democrats. Well, they had Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadducees. And Sadducees really came from a wealthy class of people. And so often they were looked down upon, but they held the position of power and authority. And, and so they wielded that. And they didn't believe in any resurrection. So they thought once you're done with life, you're done. There is no more heaven. There is no more eternity. It's just that your life comes to an end. And as I was taught as a little kid, maybe some of you heard this before, uh, because they believe when you die, you just die. That is why the Sadducees are sad, you see. That's how I remember that in your mind. So that's Sadducees. Pharisees uh, really came from common folk, and they too were attorneys, and they would come with these laws. And while the Sadducees said, we're really not holding to any oral traditions, we hold very strict interpretation of Moses' law from the Old Testament, the Pharisees said, no, we not only keep Moses' law in the Old Testament, but we have uh, 613 other laws and traditions that come alongside this law as well. And so they had all of these traditions that they'd built up for all the years. No wonder they needed Pharisees and Sadducees to help interpret all of what was going on. I mean, the Pharisees had 613, as I mentioned, different laws. 248 of those were positive. 365 were negatives, like don'ts, which is great. You can have one for each day of the year. It's just a wonderful little thing to remember by. And so all of these, this is what's going on. And so the Pharisees, hearing that they had, Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, like, well, what happened to the Sadducees? Well, you have to go backwards a little bit in the text, but to give you a quick summary of what happened, the Sadducees gathered around Jesus because they didn't believe in the resurrection and said, Jesus, I've got a way to really to prove to you that there is no resurrection, there is no eternal life. And so he came to him, he said, well, Jesus, Moses has this law about if a man dies and his wife is still living, that the brother has to marry that man. Okay, so let's say that happened and the man died and the brother married the wife and they didn't have any kids but then he died and so the other brother marries him and he dies and then another brother marries another brother and so there's like seven people that are married to the same woman and then they go to heaven whose wife is she going to be see it doesn't work Jesus this whole idea of eternal life doesn't work here on earth therefore there can be no resurrection and Jesus looked at him he said you don't understand the power of God and you don't understand eternity you don't understand the scriptures and he began to unpack for them what heaven looked like and so the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and were like, oh, finally, we get our chance because the stock in the Sadducees is going down. Let's come alongside. So I imagine there's part of this that they gathered around Jesus waiting for the next little sound bite. Jesus, give me something that I can tweet so that the Sadducees, I can just crush them a little bit farther because the farther they go down, the higher and elevated we are in social status. So give us something else. And so what do they do? One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Because again, we've, we've got 613 of these. It's confusing for us. We're not really sure because sometimes they contradict one another and we're really not sure what order to put these in. So can you just give me, like, what is the primary law? And here is what Jesus responded with. This is what we're most familiar with. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind 
This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself, for all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, what Jesus was doing in that moment was taking a look at culture and looking how far it had drifted away from God's intentional purpose. That the whole idea from the very beginning is that God would dwell with man and man and God would have this relationship with one another. And, and somewhere through time, as it just sort of tumbled through time, that it all got twisted and it became about following the laws and the rituals and doing all the right things and saying the right thing and behaving the right way. And following God became more about behaving than it was about loving. And so Jesus looked at these 613 laws and he looked at the temple where they would go in and offer their sacrifices and come out the same way they went in. And there's no transformation happening in their life. And Jesus is like, you've lost sight of this, Pharisees. Here's what it is. Love the Lord your God. That's what it's about. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it's about. This is what it means to follow God. I have a feeling that if Jesus were here today, he would look and go, wow, it's not much different than it was 2,000 years ago. Because <laughs> there are still a lot of people that are just following Jesus for the ritual. Like, I go to church. That's what we do. I should go to church more. I should read my Bible more. I should pray more. I should give more. I should do more. I should serve more. I, I should get more actively involved in the community. I should share my faith more with people. And we make it all about these rules and, and regulations. And as long as you're behaving right, you're on the right track. And I think Jesus would speak back into this and go, don't forget the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Don't lose sight of this. It's not that we need to throw everything else away. It's like, don't lose sight. This is the main purpose for which you were created, to love God and to love other people. Don't lose sight of that. So let me ask you, how's your relationship with God look? Does it look like love Lord your God? And love your neighbor as yourself? If not, why not? And so what I want to do this morning is give us the encouragement a little bit to say, you know, we can make some changes. If we're not happy the way we're following Jesus, if we don't feel like we're following Jesus the way Jesus wants us to follow him, then we can make a change. And I love this in his book, Henry Cloud, in his book, Boundaries for Leaders, uh, he has this refrain that he uses over and over again. He says, you are ridiculously in charge. So if you're leading a team of people and you have a meeting, you're like, I don't really like these meetings. I hate these meetings. Well, aren't you the leader? Change it. <laughs> like, change the meeting. Like, you're in charge. Change it. Man, you know, like the direction it's heading, change it. If you're the lead, change it. And here's the key about life, and you're in charge of your life. I love this about God, that God gives us the freedom to be in charge of our life. You are ridiculously in charge of your life. I don't know what some of you are thinking. You're like, well, I'm just a kid. I'm not really in charge of my life. I don't want to apologize in advance to parents um, with this, but kids probably know this intuitively already, so I'm not really shocking them at well. Um, once you hit like five or six, we can't tell you what to do anymore. <laughs> And we can't really make you do anything. You probably realize this already. Like, I hate to blow this. Parents are like, please don't tell them that. We don't need to hear that. I can't make, I can't make you do anything anymore. Because once you get a certain age, it's like you're physically big enough. It's like I can't just force you into doing things that you don't want to do. 
And Andy Stanley had this great parenting advice that I absolutely loved. He said, yeah, I can't make you do anything, but there's a place for people that continually make bad decisions and are hurting other people so that they don't hurt anybody else, and that's called prison. And so that's your other choice with that. If you don't want to do some good things, um, there's a place for people to go where they make bad choices, and that's where uh, it is. I can't make you do anything. So kids, you're ridiculously in charge of your life, and so you get to determine that. And I realize, too, there are some adults that have gone through, and you're like, boy, you don't really know much of my story. And you're probably right. I don't know. I know some of your stories. I don't know a lot of your stories. And imagine if you could tell your story, and I've heard some of these. Like, you don't know the childhood I grew up in. Loving God and loving one another wasn't a part of my household. It was abusive. It was angry. And I'm just so glad I'm not a part of that anymore. But man, it's really difficult for me to love God and love others because I didn't grow up in an environment like that. And you're like, I don't, you're right, I don't get that. I didn't grow up in that kind of environment. I don't understand that. But man, I can empathize with this. But I also know this, that that's not where God wants to leave you. That your past doesn't have to dictate your future. And that's what this series is about. God wants to set you free. From whatever it is in your past, you don't have to continue down that trajectory. There's a better direction in which you can head. And that's what we want for you today, and that's what we want to declare for you today. And, and here's another problem I've seen with people is, is we realize like, oh yeah, no, I want to love God with all my heart and my soul and my mind, and I want to love my neighbor as myself, and yes, let's go out and do that. And then you find yourself very quickly, if not by this afternoon, you're like, oh wow, yeah, I really just want to love myself right now. I don't really want to love anybody. I don't want to love God. I just want it to be about me in this moment of time. And I read an interesting blog years ago on this, and I saved it because it was such an instrumental point for me, the tension between trusting God and trying to achieve your dreams. That was the title of it. And I thought, I love that because I love this idea of tension because we live in tension. (laughs) And there's a part of us because if God's spirit lives in you, the tension, I just want to trust God. And the other side of this tension is I want to do what I want to (laughs) do. And you're never going to be, I'm not done with that yet. I'm still living in that tension. I hope more and more I'm learning to let go of my own heart and my own desires and just learning, I just want to trust you, God. But there's still a tension. And and what I've seen happen for far too many people is they feel that tension and go, well, I just can't do it. And they give up. It's like, oh man, don't give up. God is just beginning to do some great work in you. Like manage that tension. Just understand that's always going to be a tension. As long as there's a breath in your lung, you are going to have that tension. And so how do you begin to live out this way? How do you begin to build some healthy boundaries uh, around you? Well, the first thing, thing you need to understand is simply this, that I need to live intentionally. Otherwise, I'm going to drift. I, I need to live intentionally. Otherwise, I'm just going to drift. Because culture will be happy to dictate how you should live your life. That's what happened with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They just developed this culture over a period of time, and they just sort of got enveloped by the culture, and they were conforming to the culture. And Jesus shocks them and says, this is not the way God intended. Let's go back to the way it should be. Love God and love your neighbor. Let's go back to that. That's what it should look like. That's the way you should be living your life. And what a radical transformation that would be in the church today, wouldn't it? 
I mean, who doesn't want to be around somebody who genuinely loves God just because God is love? And so you're just responding to God. You're not worshiping because, oh, it's Sunday. I got to go to church. You're worshiping God because God has set me free. And I want to be around some other believers so we can lift up the name of Jesus. I don't care if we're doing it in a church or I'm doing it in my home. I'm going to be lifting up the name of Jesus because that is what I want to do. That's what my soul desires to do. I want to live intentionally. Otherwise, I'm going to drift. And who doesn't want to be around people that are loving one another? And boy, wouldn't that be great if that was the defining mark of every follower of Jesus? Look at how genuinely they love God. They worship with a smile on their face. They just genuinely want to be here. Isn't that wonderful? They want to genuinely worship God. They look like they love him all the time. And they're out serving and loving one another. And that is what we are called to do. But I find it so interesting that way too many people don't want to take the time to live intentionally. They'd just rather be conformed by the culture. And I think, what a waste. God spent all this time making us and creating us unique, and then we just want to fit in like everybody else. Ian Cron, who does the Enneagram, and he's got a podcast, and the end of each podcast, and I love the way he ends this, he ends it with a quote from Oscar Wilde. And he says, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. I love that quote. Uh, Charlie Jones said it this way, you are today who you're going to be five years from now except for the people you meet and the books you read. What he's talking about is intentionally setting your direction. Where, where am I heading? Who do I want to be? Who's God calling me to be? That's where the direction that I want to head. So how do I begin to do that? How do I love God and how do I love other people? Well, you realize, number one, I can't do this. Because what God calls you to do when he says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, he uses the word. This is the one Greek word that a lot of people know. He uses the word agape. Like agape, wait, what's agape? Agape is a selfless, unconditional love that persists no matter what the circumstance. So this is the way we are to worship God. God, I want, I want to love you, regardless of the circumstances. I don't care if COVID is going on, I'm going to love you. I don't care what's going on with my job, I'm going to love you. I don't care if I got a flat tire and the dog made a mess and the air conditioner is out. I don't care, I'm going to love you, God, because that's what agape is. This is the intention that God has for us. And this is the way God wants us to love one another, agape. Not just loving the lovable, loving the unlovable. Loving those who are hurting, those who are angry those who are just venomous, those that are difficult to be around. This is agape. This is who God wants us to love. And, and you realize, I, I, can't do, I can't do this. I don't have the power to do this. None of us have the power to do this. And the only way we can do this is because God first loved us. Because this is the way that God loves us. When God is love, God is agape. He loves unconditionally. And this is one of the many reasons why I could never be God. Because I, I don't have that kind of patience with people. <laughs> Man, I, if, I, if I could destroy the earth and be done with everybody, like, I'm done. Like, fine. You guys want to just do what you want to do? Fine. You're on your own. I'm out of here. I'm going to go find another galaxy somewhere and start all over again. And good luck with that. We'll see you later when you destroy everything without my help at all. Um, but God, I love you selflessly, unconditionally. <laughs> I'm going to persist no matter what the circumstance, no matter what you've done in your life. God still loves you. And this is his pattern from the beginning of the world when God created and everything was good and everything was perfect. And we messed it up and brought chaos into God's beautiful, perfect order. 
God set into motion this plan to send Jesus into the world, and prophet after prophet after prophet testified that Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. And then Jesus came into the world and lived a perfect life, something that we could never do. He lived sinless. He lived agape, selfless, unconditional. (laughs) This is what he did. And then what did the world do to him in response to that? Well, nailed him on a cross. And what held Jesus there on the cross? What allowed him to let nails be driven through his feet and his hands? What allowed him to allow his life to be taken from him? It was agape. This is what God was doing on the cross because he so loves you. You are loved by God, and it's that love that stirs in our hearts, that we allow that to resonate in our minds and our hearts. It changes the way we love God, and it changes the way we love other people. We don't have the power to agape on our own. Only the love of God can bring that out in us. I need to live intentionally, otherwise I will drift. And if you decide, I want to go to the beach because it's hot and I just want to be around some water, and, and you get in your car after church and you just randomly just start heading north, um, you're going to be disappointed because <laughs> you've got to drive a long way, one, to get to any kind of water. You're going to be driving like through the United States and, and through Canada, and finally you end up at the dead end of the road, and there's water. And Canada's beautiful. I don't want to knock Canada because it is beautiful being up there, but I've swam in those waters before. It's frigid. Like, that's not beautiful, pristine beaches up there. It is freezing cold water. Beautiful, but really, really cold. If you want to go to the beach, what are you going to do? I'm going to set my destination on my little GPS thing, and I want to go to Galveston, great. I'm going to head down 45 and get down to Galveston. I want to go to South Padre Island. Maybe I'll hop on a flight and do that. They're really cheap right now. And I'm going to set my direction and hope the pilot has set his direction to get down there. And if we do that for vacations, why on earth would we not do this for our own lives? So we need to be intentional with our direction. Otherwise, we are going to drift. Second thing we need to know is we need some kind of filter in our life. Otherwise, everything gets in. Much like you've got a filter in your air conditioning unit, at least I hope you do. You're not one of those people like, oh, I don't need these filters and just rip them out. Um, Because filters take out all of the the pollen and all the dirt and all the dust and all the stuff that would be getting into our lungs. It takes that out as the the air conditioning system runs uh, throughout the summer all day long. And this is what God is saying. This is really what a boundary is. It's providing some kind of filter so that not everything gets in. And just to be real personal for a while, I've gone through different seasons in my life where I've sought out a counselor just to help me work through things and talk through things. It's an incredibly helpful experience. I encourage everybody to do that. But a long time ago, back in my single days, and I was looking at my dating history, which wasn't exactly stellar from that, and so I just wanted to work through some stuff, and I remember talking with the counselor, and after a while, he just said this, and he said it in a nicer way than I'm going to say it to you, and he said, John, what is your criteria for dating? I'm like, I don't know. I've never really thought about criteria before. I don't know. He's like, well, how do you choose women? I'm like, I don't know. They sort of choose me. So somebody who's interested in me, that's my criteria. Is that good enough? Is that how that works? And he's like, no, that's not really a good criteria. What else? I'm like, there's got to be something else. I'm like, I, I don't really know. I never really thought much about it. He said, well, that's part of the problem. What else is there? I'm like, well, I don't know. I got to be attracted to him, I guess. There's got to be a cute factor in the midst of that. So I don't know what that looks like. He said, well, wow, we need to work on this because right now what you're telling me is everybody gets in. And there's no discerning with that. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. He said, do you see a problem with that? (laughs) Do you hope at some point to like stop dating and get married at some point? I'm like, well, yeah, I sort of hope. I think that's the purpose of dating is finding somebody you want to marry. He said, how about instead of just randomly stumbling into that, how about you start building up some boundaries? 
and, and thinking about some values that you have and what you're looking for in a spouse. Wouldn't that be a better way to date as opposed to just dating anybody who walks into your life is having some discernment with that? I'm like, oh, yeah, it sounds great. How do I do that? Well, why don't you start writing down a list? I'm like, okay, that sounds great. I'm a task-oriented kind of guy, so I, I went home and started working on that, shared it with some friends, and brought it back to him and shared my list. And long story short, after several sessions, I had 15 different characteristics of things that I was looking for in a spouse. I'm like, I didn't know I had these in me, but man, that brought these out, and these are wonderful. And I began to start dating, and I started looking at these characteristics. I'm like, eh. And then I found myself, well, maybe I could settle. I mean, 10 out of 15 is not bad. That's like two-thirds of them, right? That's not too, too bad out of the midst of that. And, 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 then I, eh, and then I really, frankly, like any good habit, after a while, you forget about it, and you just sort of put that to the side. And, and so I met Margaret along the way. And as I was dating her, um, somewhere in that courtship before we got engaged, I stumbled across that piece of paper again, and I'm looking at all of those characteristics. And I'm like, oh, wow, check, 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 check. <laughs> and I'm going through, and she checks every single one. And I'm like, wow, God, isn't that just like you? You put me through this exercise years ago, and I prayed about this for a long time, and I started using it for a long time, then forgot about it, and you brought it back to my attention. And look at this. Wow, you brought somebody into my life that hits every one of these characteristics that I wrote down. Man, if you think that's a good exercise to do for dating, it's much better to do for life. Man, to have something around, some kind of filter, so that not everything gets into your life. Because not everything that comes into your life is an opportunity. Sometimes they're a distraction. Sometimes they're a temptation. So I need a filter. And the last thing we need is I need some values to evaluate what gets in. Because as you build up some boundaries, some things are going to hop over the fence and you're going to need some second line of defense that's going to help you to determine, does that belong here or does that not belong here? And what values help you to do is to recognize that and go, wow, that makes me feel a little uneasy. Why does that make me feel uneasy? Because it doesn't belong here. Yesterday was my mother-in-law's birthday. It would have been her birthday. She'd long since been with Jesus. In fact, before I met my wife, uh, she had already gone to be with Jesus so all the stories I know about her are from Margaret and hearing those stories. And one of the stories before Margaret was even born, uh, her dad was an electrician. And after the hurricane blew through in, was it 69 or 70, they had moved to Mississippi to help rebuild um, that area over there. And so mom, um, sort of like, what is a community? Well, the community needs a restaurant. They don't have anything to eat. And so she built this restaurant and just hired. It didn't matter what kind of race you were, just who wants to work hard and who's good at this. Let's come together. We built a ride and built a very successful restaurant and a lot of people came and did that and long story short she gets pregnant and then as she gives birth um, she walks away from the restaurant a very successful business and I remember when I heard that story and I thought wow why and she goes well she just always said she wanted to be a mom first that's what she wanted to be and that's not everybody's calling on everybody's life. Not everybody has to walk away from a career to raise a child, but she felt that was one of her values. And it didn't matter how successful the restaurant was, who wanted her to do it. She goes, no, I want to do this. This is my calling. I'm going to do this. And that's setting a value. And we all need those in our life that we have determined our values. The culture hasn't determined our values. Your neighbor hasn't determined your values. To some extent, while your parents have shaped your values, they don't get to tell you what your value. You get to determine. You are ridiculously in charge of your life. So what are your core values? Those values that when something comes in, you can evaluate and go, yep, yeah, nope, that's not for me. I'm letting that one go. That one's getting out of here. That one doesn't belong. This is not helping me get to where I want to be. 
So I want to challenge you this week to begin to discover what those are in your life, to sit down with God and wrestle with him a little bit. God, you made me. You created me. Help me to, to listen to, to what it is that, that I should be putting the most value on. Help me to, to bring my life out of all the stuff that's going on out there, like the Pharisees had to do with 613 laws. Help me just to narrow it down to a few, Jesus, that I can hear from you so that there can be some direction for my life. And as you're doing that exercise, let me challenge you to ask this question as you do so. Does it help me to love God and to love others? And I would argue, if it doesn't help you to do those things, maybe it doesn't belong in your core value for your life. If whatever it is that you're valuing doesn't help you love God and love other people, maybe you need to let that value go. Maybe that's not a godly value. Maybe that's your value. This is what Jesus said was most important. You want to follow him? This is the boundary you want to pick. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what you do. And if it helps you do these things, man, you're on the right track. So as we go through this series, I want to encourage you to come back because each week we're going to unpack this in different areas of our life and, and sort of talk about what this looks like. But it all starts with this idea. What are these core values? How am I living my life? How am I determining the direction of my life? How am I setting that direction in my life?